family, what are some of the anecdotes or the nuggets of wisdom that virtually everyone knows? I bet if I asked you that question and pressed a little bit further, not only would you be able to tell me what that wisdom is, but you'd also be able to tell me who it's attributed to. We know, consider the source belongs to our grandma Bev. And we know that be like a duck, as far as it relates to letting stuff roll off of you, that's patented by my mom. But what we find is that every family has common words, phrases, ideas, practices that everyone adheres to because the more time you spend around an idea, the more familiar with it you become. And the more familiar with it you become, the easier it is to hold on to. And we have those same terms in the family of Christ, don't we? Hope, faith, sin, repentance. Half of you just got out of Sunday school. Jesus, God, Bible. I gave you all the answers less than two minutes into this sermon. <laughs> but in all of the common terms that we have in the church, probably the most popular one, the one that's most synonymous with our God, whether you're a Christian or not, is love. And as Christians, we love to talk about love, don't we? It makes sense, too, because depending on what translation of the Bible you have, the word love might appear over 700 times. The most popular uh, internet search verse in all of history is John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? How many weddings have you been to where you hear readings of 1 Corinthians 13, Ephesians 5, maybe even Song of Solomon because nothing says I love my wife like comparing her hair and her teeth to freshly cleaned goats. But you get the idea. God's love is something that we cling to because it's an idea that's so familiar to us. And just as everything with an indescribable God, we try to use different terms to put God and his behavior and his love towards us into perspective. Unconditional, never-ending, sacrificial. Many of you have probably heard the popular song, Reckless Love. At REACH Students, which is the Evangelical Free Church's parent ministry for 6th through 12th graders, we like to use the word extravagant as it relates to the love that God has for us. And when you think of extravagant, what do you think of? Something illustrious or elaborate? Maybe it's something beyond your wildest expectations. Maybe it's something that leaves you thinking, how in the world do I deserve this? But even more important than how we define God's love is what does that love do to change our lives? And as we carry this term extravagant love from reach students at the national office to the local church, we do so with this hopeful prayer that you would feel God's extravagant love as his child and that through that your life would be transformed so that you can go show others the extravagant love that God has for them. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus summarize this perfectly, exactly what to do with the extravagant love that he shows us. We're diving into Mark 12, verses 28 through 31. This is what the word of the Lord says. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now church, there's some cool things that we can take right away out of this passage of text. First, we see that this was probably a common teaching point in Jesus' ministry. 
we see the interaction that Jesus is having here in Mark is the same interaction he has in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But we also see Jesus having a different interaction in Luke 10, but he's still using the same teaching points. And that's going to be really important when we come to it later in the sermon. So we know that this was something that mattered to Jesus, and we also know that he was using common phrases that Israel was familiar with to make his point. Now, just for the sake of the rest of the sermon, I'm going to give you a little uh, nugget of wisdom myself. In New Orleans, John Gerhardt, one of our beloved Lakewood-supported missionaries, he loves to summarize Mark 12, 30, and 31 like this. Two points. Love God with all you got and love people till you drop. And when we see Jesus say, love God with all you got, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it actually comes from Deuteronomy 6. It's a part of this beautiful prayer known as the Shema. And if you were a diligent, God-fearing Israelite, not only would you pray the Shema twice a day, but it became an active part of your livelihood because we see in Deuteronomy 6-7 that faithful Israelites shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This is not just about you loving God with all you've got, but teaching the generations to come, teaching your children to do the same thing. And not to be reminded just once in a while, but every single day to love God with every part of you are as a person. Love people till you drop comes from Leviticus 19, 9 through 18. And again, we see Jesus using ideas that the Israelites know, they're familiar with. And if they're faithful to God, they're probably practicing them too. This was not just a point that Jesus was using to put the scribes and Pharisees in his place. He was really good at that though. He is telling us, church, that the most important thing we can do with our lives is to love God and love his people. And what I find really cool about Jesus here, I mean, Jesus is always cool, let's be honest, but as it relates to his message, notice how Jesus ends it. There is no commandment greater than these. In Matthew's account, Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus isn't setting these up to be commandments one and two. He is asserting that they together are the most important commandment that they work together in perfect unison. So what does that mean for us as Jesus followers in 2020? It means that God's extravagant love calls us to love others extravagantly. If we are going to love God with all we've got, we can't just be willing. We have to be eager and excited to love people till we drop because we know that loving God means loving people. Amen? We don't have to look very far in Scripture either to see that that's a reality. Right in Genesis 1, we see God in the creation story, and he says this, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I'm going to take a quick side tangent for a second, but I don't know how you felt walking into church today. I don't know how any of you felt walking into church today. But if you walked into church today, or if at any point in your life, you've ever questioned the value that you have as a person, church, I need you to understand this. You were created. You bear the image 
of the artist of the universe. You bear the image of the good shepherd, the author of the greatest redemption story the world has ever known. Church, you bear the image of the living God, and your life has great value. And so does that person sitting next to you. So does the greeter at Walmart, the homeless man on the corner, your teacher, your sibling, the person who served you your coffee this morning. Every single one of their lives has great value because they too, like us, are image bearers of God. And we are reminded in the truths of Scripture, Romans 1.20 tells us the invisible qualities of God are made visible by his creation as those who bear his image, church, we were created to love like God does. How sweet is that? And as those who love like God does, we were created to love his creation who bears the same image. How can we love God with all we've got without loving people till we drop? That'd be like telling everyone how amazing you think Michelangelo was as an artist, but then you look at the Sistine Chapel and think, that's disgusting. And when we love others extravagantly, not only do we love God with all we've got, but look at what 1 John 4, 7 says to us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Church, when we love others and when we love God, we are revealing to the world that we know the God who loves us, the God who saved us from our sins, and it's only by his power that we can love others extravagantly the way that he does. Church, we are revealing to others that the love of God has changed our lives and that it can change theirs too. And as God starts to change you through his extravagant love, you'll begin to notice it becomes a lot more natural to love other people. But even cooler than that, you'll begin to notice the ways that you love others start to reflect the love that God has for you. Being rich in mercy, or mercy, Ephesians 2, 4. Being faithful for a thousand generations, Deuteronomy 7, 9. Gracious, righteous, compassionate, Psalm 116, 5, patient and kind, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Now that's a pretty amazing list, even though we're just scratching the surface like, I want to be that list, right? Because God is that list for us, amen? And remember too, church, that extravagant love is all about experiencing those things. It's all about experiencing God's love for yourself first so that you can give it to others. We can't love God with all we've got and love people till we drop without first experiencing God loving us with all he's got. And we know very clearly that God's love for us starts in the gospel. Now we could settle for John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son for whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But we see so many more examples throughout scripture of the love that God has for every single person in this room and beyond. We know God showed his love in creating Adam and Eve and providing for their every need. In Genesis 3, we see that God was walking in the cool of the garden, or the, in the garden in the cool of the day, and he loved them so much that he desired to be with Adam and Eve right there in their lives. Even after our sins separated us from God, we see that he still loved creation, that God was so deeply involved with us that he saved Noah's family from the flood. He blessed Abraham's descendants. He freed the Israelites out of Egypt and later Babylon. He provided Israel the king that they needed in the form of David. But through David, he also promised a king that was coming that would reign forever. And we could continue just in the Old Testament alone, but church, we'd be here for a long time because God's love for us is that great. 
but moving forward into the New Testament, in God's love for us, he knew that we could not save ourselves from the sins that we commit. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Paul captured this beautifully in Philippians 2. This is what he says right here in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, the love of God is captured right in that passage. King to servant, heaven to earth, fully God to fully God and fully man, never proud but humble enough to go die one of the most brutal, agonizing deaths on a cross just so that we could be forgiven of our sins. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, ladies and gentlemen, that he gave up his comfort, his freedom, his life as he knew it so that you could be saved from the eternal punishment and consequences of your sin. But it doesn't stop there. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus in so much pain and agony from the sin that's upon him, that, but he still keeps praying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He loved you enough to go forward with his own death, even though he knew what was coming. And as we see Jesus hanging on the cross, enduring one of the most brutal 24-hour stretches that's ever been known to man, look at the two things that Jesus says in Luke's Gospel that capture the love that he has for his people. Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 43, And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In spite of the wicked treatment that Jesus received, his love for his people moved him to intercede on their behalf, begging the Father, Lord, please forgive them. They have no clue what's going on. And then he doubles down by granting salvation to the criminal who is hanging next to him church who does that and when i think about those things when i come to this realization that i was the one who put jesus on the cross that it was my sin who made him writhe in pain and agony he was dead on my account for three days and i think about all of that stuff and i think of the guilt that comes with it and then i come to this realization that not only did god forgive me of those sins he never holds them against me the extravagant love of God through the death of his son Jesus saved me from my sins. It cleaned me up. It made me righteous before the throne of God. And it made me his child. And it does the same for you too, church. And then we come to John 17, 26. Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, if you're familiar with it. But this is the beautiful conclusion that he says. Jesus says, I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The extravagant love of God, church, is found everywhere in the gospel. And it is still active today because God's love abides in us if we profess to be Christians and know him. Give yourself the freedom to experience the love that God lavishes on you every single day. And give yourself the freedom to allow God to change your life, not just through his transforming gospel, but the Holy Spirit that would be inside of you right now. But can we be honest for a second? Like, 
we know that God loves us and we see the amazing grace and the abundant mercy that God shows us, but sometimes we forget. And when we forget, there's real danger to us personally and to the mission that we've been called to. And there's countless examples in scripture of men and women who forget what God has done for them. In Judges 2, we see an entire generation grow up not knowing the Lord. In 1 Samuel 15, we see Saul forget exactly what God's done for him, and he absentmindedly disobeys God, and he loses his throne because of it. 1 Kings 11, Solomon, the wise king, son of David, turns away from the Lord, and as a result, the kingdom of Israel eventually divides and is delivered into the hands of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Sin church has a way of making us spiritual amnesiacs. It distracts us from the extravagant love, the mercy, the grace that God shows us on a daily basis to the point where we forget not just what God's done for us on the cross and in the tomb, but we forget what he's doing right now even. If you've ever had a tough conversation um, with your boss, you've ever been driving and somebody's almost caused an accident, maybe you're shopping for groceries and you watch that person take the last jar of your favorite peanut butter, that one's a little personal. We're moving on. It's okay. But when we forget the mercy, church, that God has shown us, we're prone to not be merciful. And when we forget the love that God shows us daily, what happens? We start to have low opinions of ourselves. We start to compare ourselves to one another. We start to compete with one another because we need to feel superior over them. That's the only thing that's going to make us feel good. And as a result, we are prone to not being very loving. What happens when we forget as a church? Not only are we inclined to all of the things we just discussed, but oftentimes we're left to fight one another. And even worse, we forget how to love and forgive one another. We see theological debates that go from spirited and fun to heated and distressful. People going through personal tragedy and mourning only to be told that maybe you should have prayed a little bit harder. Maybe you should have had a little bit more faith. But that's the nature of having broken and forgetful people in any body of Christ, is that there's always a possibility of getting hurt. But it doesn't have to be that way. In Luke 10, we see Jesus teaching on the love of God with all you got and love people till you drop concept, but it's a different account than what we see in Matthew and Mark. And in response to love your neighbor as yourself, we see one of the men in the room ask, and who is my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus responds with a parable that many of you might be familiar with, but the neighbor that Jesus mentions is the good Samaritan who takes care of the Jew that gets mugged on the side of the road. Now, as many of us probably know, this came as a shock to Jesus' audience because Samaritans and Jews, they were not friends. That would be like a mega hat wearing Trump supporter looking out for a Bernie Sanders voter, or a fervent five-point Calvinist looking out for a free will-toting Arminian. These pairs don't get along, and sometimes we can even give them the title of enemies. They're people that just make you angry, and ladies and gentlemen, can we be honest? When we forget the love and the mercy and the grace that God shows us, it can become really hard to love the people at work, love the people at school, love the people at church who we consider our enemies. But the great news in that is that we see God's word alive and active. Paul writes in Romans 5, check it out, verses 8 and 10. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Did you catch that in verse 10, church? At one point, you and I, we were enemies with God, hotly contested like Samaritans and Jews, Republicans and Democrats, one side of the theological aisle versus the other. And we were against our God. We were enemies. And how does God respond? With extravagant love, with abundant mercy, with amazing grace via the death of his son Jesus. And rather than holding my sin and your sins against us, even when we continue to screw up, even when we give God every excuse to just forget about us and walk away, he continues loving us. He continues lavishing grace and mercy on us that we do not deserve. And honestly, I'm okay with admitting that I need that reminder every day that God loves me. Because while I might not have it in me, to forgive and love my enemies. I might not even have it in me to love and forgive the friends who hurt me. I know that Jesus did that for me. And it is his power that is made perfect in my weakness. Even if I cannot do it, I know that Jesus can. And where I fail, Jesus will succeed. I know that because Jesus loved me extravagantly, that I'm called to love others extravagantly too, even when it's hard. Because I know that it's worth it. Because he who loves knows God. And the truth is, church, is that we all need that reminder. It's okay. Raise your hands if you're perfect. Nobody? Great. But we need to be reminded of this for two reasons. Number one, feeling and knowing that God loves you extravagantly is key to feeling closeness with him. And as a church body, we want you in your personal walks with Jesus to feel close to God. But number two is this. The mission depends on it. One of my favorite things to tell the students is, hey, this is how awesome God is, because God is all-powerful. Like, he can do what he wants to. He doesn't really need us, but he invites us anyway. And anyone who professes to know and follow and be saved by God is being called, invited into this great commission to make God known to the world by living out and sharing the gospel with others and making disciples who will do the same. Jesus makes it very clear in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People won't just see. People won't just think, mm, maybe. No, Jesus says they will know. They will know who you follow. They will know who you worship. They will know who you love with all you got if you continue to love people till you drop. Church, what an honor. What an honor that our God, all-powerful, infinite in wisdom, would invite us to make him known to others, to make his mission known to people who are in desperate need of it, to let people know that they can be saved by grace through faith alone, and all it might take is for you to show love to somebody and to remind them that God loves them too. What's great about loving others on Mission Church is that it's not complicated, right? Like, it's difficult to love people. For some of us, it might be excruciating. But we don't need to overthink how we show God's love to others. Showing mercy and forgiveness when we are wronged, being compassionate and listening well to those who are in the midst of suffering, 
holding the door, smiling at someone, a kind word. I mean, let's be real here. Minnesotans are great at those things. But when we find ways to love others, what we find is that those small actions will lead to conversations about our big God because people eventually are going to wonder how in the world we can love others the way that we do. Remember, too, that Mark 12, 30, and 31, those come from passages in the Torah which directed those who were faithful to God to teach those things to the next generation, teaching them to dwell on, to pray over, to experience the love that God has for them so that they, too, can love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, teaching them to be extravagantly generous, compassionate, patient, kind, and forgiving to their neighbors, even the ones who they consider their enemies. By teaching the next generation to love God and love his people, we at least for a time ensure that they don't forget what God has done for them. And even though we know we have our work cut out for us with this generation, not because of them, but because of the environment around them, there's still a reason that so many church historians, so many international ministries, so many pastors are excited about this next generation and how God might use this army of children and teenagers. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. So we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 1 John 4, 12, 13, and 16. Church, who knows how God might use you to change somebody's life? The love that you show others by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you might be the reason that somebody experiences Jesus for the first time today. It might be the reason that a child, a student, even a young adult wants to take the relationship with Jesus to the next level. The forgiveness that you show to somebody who wrongs you might help them turn their life around because let's be real here, church. Praise God, it's not us, but he operates in the love that we show others. God is inviting you and I to be a part of his mission to redeem the world. And our part in that mission depends on us being changed by the love that God shows us and being able to show it well to others. And that's my prayer for you today, ladies and gentlemen that you would experience and know intimately the life-transforming, extravagant love that God has shown you and continues to show you every single day. That his love would move you to love others extravagantly because he first loved us and for the countless ways throughout the gospel and through his word that we continue to see his love lavished on us. And even when we forget the mercy and the grace and the love that God shows us, even when we fail to live up to the standards of love that God calls his disciples to, that you would be able to run to the throne of God and be reminded that he loves you and he gives abundant mercy to you every single day. And that by his power, you would be able to love others, whether it's easy or difficult. I pray that you would be reminded of the glorious mission that God has called you to, to make him known to a world that's in desperate need of him. And the greatest step that you can take in that mission is to love others extravagantly who bear that same image of God that you do. The extravagant love of God changes you, church. And we know that in scripture it says this, there are nothing greater than these two things, to extravagantly love God with all you've got 
and to extravagantly love people till you drop. I promise you, church, that it will change your life. And who knows who else will be changed in that process. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, this is your church. And Lord, we are your servants. Lord, thank you for loving us so extravagantly that it can change our lives. Lord, thank you that your love saved us from our sins. Lord, thank you that your love still abides in us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that your love can transform us so that we can go love others and make you known. Thanks for inviting us to be a part of your mission to redeem the world. Thank you for giving us ears to hear the gospel, a heart to receive it, and a mouth and feet that can go communicate that gospel to other people. Lord, as we close out service today, I pray that that would be the reminder that the Holy Spirit burns on the hearts of all of your children in here today to love you with all they've got and to love your people till they drop. Lord, you are incredible and you are so worthy of our praise. Thank you for being that God for us. We love you, we praise you, and we give you the glory in your precious name. Amen.